There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Friends, Pastor Mike with you again today. Thank you for joining us here on WCN TV. We have got a wonderful author, believer, and, and I'll say thinker, and, and you'll understand why uh, in just a moment. Uh, Dorothy Logan is going to join us, and we're going to discuss her book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. So as I, I Looked through this book, I was I was very impressed. First of all, with with the layout, um, it made perfect sense. Although uh, for some readers, and and I'll just say this before I bring Dorothy on, um, when I find books like this, I like to acquire several copies and give them as gifts to, especially to pastors. Um, and this is not an excuse. I'm not making an excuse for for some pastors, but. I think it would benefit them if they would understand uh, a little bit of the history of this nation and some of the uh, philosophical writings of, of folks that they leaned on for our founding documents. And when you bring all of that together, um, it really creates a, a clear picture of what we once had, but what we have allowed to slip right through our hands, and in my opinion, and if we don't do something quickly, it's going to be lost and and gone. So, um, here's here's a quote from Dorothy in the book: "We exchanged equality for equity, diversity for conformity, and inclusion for intersectionality." We've traded cultural appreciation for cultural appropriation. We've traded individual liberties for a promise of health and safety, personal happiness for collective good, individual responsibility for collective blame, and independence for dependence. How is that for an opening quote, folks? Dorothy Logan holds graduate degrees in political uh, political science, and, and you'll understand why when you read the book, <laughs> and has served as a professor, worship leader. Now, that's clear on the other end of the spectrum, because <laughs> some people, when they reminisce about their professors, they're dry as bones in many cases, but then, then, then worship leader, uh, performing musician, organizational coach, She's contributed to foreign policy analysis, congressional and court testimony, books on foreign policy, leadership, and community impact. She founded, Dorothy founded Freedom Academy. And um, thank you, producer. You've got it up there on the on the screen for folks. Freedomacademy.com. Freedomacademy.com. Um, in 2020. She has taught critical thinking, worldview, cultural history, and political science at the university level for more than 20 years. Dorothy, I am very blessed to have you join me here on WCN-TV. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, we have a mutual friend in, in Don Otis, and Don uh, told me when I asked for um, who he would recommend as a guest 
uh, for this particular episode of uh, Wisconsin Christian News TV. He highly recommended you. And uh, after reading your book, I understand why. It was a, it was a pleasure, actually, to read the book. Um, and I'm going to admit this on the air. I've never done this before on the air. Um, but when when I do as many interviews, I do a lot of interviews and I talk to a lot of different people and I get lots of books in the mail. Um, I have learned to skim read, speed read. They used to call it in the back in the day, but but skim read. Um, that was difficult for me to do with your book because I found it so interesting. <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> yes, I took I took a little bit more time. Uh, went through the book. I thought, wow, this is this is really well, uh, well written, well thought out, and and so we'll get into that. We'll we'll just work our way through the book, and and I'll let you share whatever it is that that the Lord lays on your heart. But but right off the bat, in the introduction to the book, you say that the Great American Experiment is over. Now, people my age uh, and older understand what the great American experiment was, but I don't think young people by and large understand it very much. So, so right out of the gate, Dorothy, what is the great American experiment and, and why do you think it's over? Well, the great American experiment was, it's from a quote and we're supposed to be this kind of beacon of light to the rest of the world. But what the experiment was, we tried to do government differently. We tried to give a new role to government, a very Lockean role, which is why that first part of the book really is a primer. I want to introduce readers to ideas that they might not be aware of, but a true Lockean approach to government and its role where the government has enough power to protect the rights and liberties of its people, but not enough power to take it away. Because everything else we think about the experiment as, as in America really wasn't new or innovative or revolutionary, but this was. This was something new, putting government in a new role. Why do I think it's over? Because I mean, you look at current you look at current events, whether nationally or globally, but look at looking at American current events, we are no longer um, a constitutionally constitutional federal republic where we have bounds or constraints on that government so it doesn't have enough power to take our rights and liberties away. I, I think if a very cursory glance at the news cycle over the past few years will demonstrate that our government does have enough power to take our rights away and they are no longer in the role of protecting those rights. So pick any current event pick anything from the last, especially three years, but it's been gradually happening. We're no longer guided by a constitution. Our government is no longer beholden to the rule of law. And uh, we believe we're in a democracy. Uh, perception becomes reality. And so instead of being this constitutional federal republic, we are now de facto in a democracy and which reverses everything on its head again and therefore the the experiment for this role of government is is over yeah and that's uh i'm glad you brought democracy up dorothy because that's one of the things that that i've watched at my age now i've had the privilege of watching um these last 30 40 years and and how things have changed dramatically um and 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 we have this constant drumbeat today from not not just on the bought and paid for media, but out of our government. And now I'm even seeing it um, out of young people, democracy, democracy, democracy. They're pushing for democracy. They've been um, deceived, brainwashed, conditioned, propagandized, whatever word you want to use to believe that democracy is equal to freedom. And the fact of the matter is they're directly opposites of one another. And so they are following the Pied Piper down this path. It's going to lead to destruction. Um, what do we do to wake folks up? And, and well, first of all, is that is that observation accurate? And then secondly, if it is, what do you recommend we do to wake folks up? It's absolutely accurate. Democracy, the founders called it tyranny of the majority, but democracy, we've replaced, okay, we want to, we need to protect our democracy. Things are threats to democracy. Uh, you know, elections have consequences and that's the true aspect of democracy. Meaning when you go back to the foundational center of what democracy is, it's majoritarian 
tyranny, <laughs> meaning it's a, it's a peaceful way to transfer power from one group of people to another group of people. And the winners, the elections have consequences, the winners of of that transfer of power now have the power to dictate everything to the losers of 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 the de democratic process we like to look oh what western democracy is different or a socialist democracy is different or democratic socialism is different but democracy is a simply a method of transferring power from one group to another group and so we don't really want to preserve democracy we don't we want to instead uh, preserve freedom, preserve the way of life. And so, but instead by declaring democracy, especially with young people, and it's been dictated throughout, you know, in every level of, of education from K, I would say, kindergarten through university level that we we're a democracy and we need to protect democracy. But in essence, as we hand ourselves over to democracy, perception becomes reality and we are handing ourselves voluntarily over to tyranny. Yes, that's, that's absolutely right. You, it took time to do um, some some review of, uh, of philosophy and some of the movements. You mentioned uh, Rousseau and and Locke. You mentioned Locke um, early on, and those were those were really competing uh, socio political viewpoints, philosophical viewpoints, worldview viewpoints, and. The founders came down very clearly on the side of of, of Lockean philosophy and and what what freedom actually meant and individual responsibility and and what a republic was versus uh, you even you even brought in some some Plato I was impressed with that <laughs> wow getting you're right back to the Greek philosophers of course everybody says yeah well Western civilization is based on that well in a, in a in a sense it is but it didn't follow through luckily. On all of those things that that the Greeks believed philosophically, um, so democracy is not the same as freedom, although this generation believes that it is, and 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 I think one of the reasons that they believe it is is because the government, this current government, and its man, and I'm not talking about just just the Biden regime. This goes back further than that. Um, but this government has given the impression that individuals are are free to make their own uh, destinies, free to declare that they're autonomous from any kind of of um, creator, that they have no responsibilities to the larger community, and we see we see this in, currently, especially in the, uh, the sexual dysphoria and the all of the transgenderism that's being pushed and so on and so forth. So what I try, my point here, Dorothy, is this, the government is aiding and abetting people to, and it's, and it's on the horizon again, aiding and abetting people, marching them right into prison, right into a loss, total loss of all of their freedoms. And that's part and parcel with democracy, as you've already pointed out. It's the tyranny of the majority um, we had an example right here in Ohio. Um, we had a special election on August the 8th, and the the progressive Marxists, leftists did such a brilliant propaganda campaign, totally lies, by the way, to convince people that um, by passing this this amendment to our Constitution, which, by the way, if you're down in you're down south, I believe. Uh, so, so here in Ohio, in November, a uh, vote is coming up to add the constitutional right to uh, infanticide to murdering unborn babies. They're trying to add it to our constitution. So, to preempt that, in August we had a special election to try and change the constitution, whereby they could not change our constitution without a sixty percent vote. Currently, it's fifty percent plus. One, which leaves us wide open, and that was proven once again, leaves us wide open to the tyranny of the majority, exactly what you're talking about. And this is this is being pushed by our government all across this nation, isn't it? It is. And I think you have to be really careful to say, to talk, when we talk about, oh, 
personal agency or personal freedom to do or be whatever you want. I've heard it. I've heard pure freedom described as being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And that's not really what freedom is, especially when you connect that with democracy because, oh, it is for the greater good. We're going to tell you what will make you happy. We're going to tell you what you should be doing. And the rule, there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute good or wrong, good or evil, right or wrong. It is what we have decided it is. The 50% plus one gets to tell you what your freedoms are, what the law is, what reality is, and what what is good and virtuous. And it, it, it starts defining becoming the only moral authority, which is, again, a, a reason why it has to be very careful when we talk about the common good or the community, because they will use our words against us. They have done a very good job of redefining many of these concepts. So when you yeah. think about infanticide, it, it like, yeah, we can do whatever we want to do as, you know, whenever we want to do it up until or after birth, right, to another human being, not because there's a, uh, uh, it's morally right, but it is morally right because the government, we, the majority has said so. Mm-hmm. And so when it's, it's very, it's a very quick descent into um, evil, I would say, based upon the moral law that is defined by an in, in absolute and innate truth. Yes, yes, absolutely. I I came across a, a phrase in, in chapter three. I'd never heard uh, in context this phrase used before, but I thought it was brilliant. And you bring it up later in the book, but you talk about in chapter three, which is titled the United States Constitution. You talk about the government's conscience, the government's conscience. Now, I think that's deserving of of an explanation for folks that because this is a foundational reality, a foundational truth. If we're going to have true Republican government and true freedom, as the founders envisioned it, we have to understand there is such a thing as a government's conscience. What is that exactly, Dorothy? So and this is where I brought up Plato when he talks about the kind of this struggle that humans live within, right? We we have our lower selves, our baser selves, what we want in the moment, what will give us the most pleasure now, like eating the ice cream, right? And yes. and versus our higher self, which said, well, we don't want the high sugar, we don't want diabetes, we don't want to gain weight. So there's this struggle between our transcendent self. I mean, I'm really simplifying it, but the the our higher self versus our lower self. Plato calls it the transcendent self as well. So you have this on ongoing struggle in in every human being where we live, how are we going to make a decision? He calls that our ethical conscience. So I translate that into, well, government is made up of people and these people um, are just as corrupt and as a group, if not more so than they, than they are as they are as individuals. And so they need that struggle to be happening within the, the system, within the organization or within our government. And so this ethical conscience, the, the the constitution, I believe, is brilliantly written to balance all that out and make them struggle with the decision between what it, what what will benefit us in the moment and what will what do we what's really the best for the, our constituents, what's really best for the country, what do we actually want for the future? And I think if you take a look at any of the things that have been have been passed legislation um, across the board because we're the federalism part too. You're talking about Ohio where that kind of struggle um, has been eliminated. We don't want the struggle. We want the ice cream. We want what we want and we want it right now. And I think that um, when, so we need that government's conscious when we need to have that struggle happening. And I actually, this idea of the government's conscious, I think this is one of my original ideas that I've come, I came up with, which I call the books I write are, I've written too, are original political philosophies. Um, I draw on the philosophies of others, of course, but uh, again, thank you for mentioning the government's conscious because I think I came up with that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had never come across that phrase, but I thought it fit. Uh, perfectly. Um, so, so in the following chapter, you talk about artificial conscience. So maybe that's a follow-up question to to the government's conscience. What what is what is artificial conscience? Well, because we we can self-check, we can check ourselves, we can check our emotions. But when you're looking at an entire 
organization, again, the government, you look at the legislature, for example, you look at uh, just the central government in Washington, D.C., They there's no self-check. There's no self-innate um, conscience there, which is why then the Constitution is, is an artificial conscience. It That Supermajority, like you were talking about in Ohio, the 60% instead of the 50% plus one, it, the struggle, the debate has to occur. There has to be more contemplation. There has to slow down the decision-making process. Also just dividing us into different uh, branches of government that can check. Like the, the legislature is supposed to check the power of the executive. The executive is supposed to check the power of the legislature. The House is supposed to check the power of the Senate. The Senate is supposed to check the power of the House. The states are supposed to check the power of the central government. The central government is supposed to check the power of the states. And then you have the Supreme Court. And so because we don't, we don't, we can't do it ourselves. They're not, the, the Senate will never check their own power. We can look at what they've done over the past 10, 20 years, and they've increased their power over and over again. Same with the House. They are never going to check their own power. What we have going on now, and I know you didn't ask this question, is those other checks on our central government have failed in their responsibility. They have failed to step in and um, make those other branches and other divisions of government pause, reflect, and um, scale back their power. Yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised when I read one statement that you made and I gave it, I gave it a little thought and I thought, well, it, yeah, it, it can be viewed as a good thing, but I'm talking about gridlock. Um, most, most Americans have an unfavorable view of, of our legislature, of the, of the house and, and the Senate. Um, and gridlock makes it look like we're not getting anything done. Well, we are getting things done but 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 wrestling and and fighting through um, a perspective and principles and and truth that's an important process, isn't it? So so I think what you're saying uh, in your in your book, Dorothy, is that we should maybe tap the brakes on thinking that that's always bad, and look at it instead maybe as the glass is actually half full. And we do have some folks that are trying to do the right thing and they're digging their heels in and, and trying to force that issue forward instead of just like they're accused of all the time, capitulating and just allowing themselves to be steamrolled. And yes, and it's more than that, though, because, yes, the government that governs least governs best. That's one side of it. And also this pause, reflect debate and you move through and actually you might have something better come out of it. But I think the problem is even more fundamental in that the Americans expect our government to solve problems. And if there's gridlock, they're not solving our problems. And we are looking to them as our savior in all circumstances. We're looking to them for solutions, but we're looking to them for solutions to problems that they created in the yes. in the first place by passing legislation with you know without the proper consideration of what the long-term effects of that legislation and policy will be on the American people. Yes. Yeah, that's that's so very true. I was uh, I was considering, again, uh, Romans chapter 13 when I was reading that portion, uh, which talks about what what a what a government is supposed to look like, how it is supposed to be a ministry uh, of God to the people and what their responsibilities were to the people. And um, I thought, boy, that is upside down today. If there ever was a time. Um, and that is upside. Yeah. So thank you, Jonathan, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Well, that's, <laughs> that's been turned on its head today, hasn't it? Um, and, and, and I don't want to get sidetracked with this, but, but everybody's talking about what's coming in the next month or two, they're going to try and do this crazy nonsense to us again. And, and the, my message has been even, even from the first time, do not comply. If you comply, you're part of the problem. We we have got to stand against a government that that is attempting to do this again to us, and let them know in no uncertain terms it's not going to fly. That's going to take some. That's going to take some backbone and some courage, isn't it, Dorothy? Yes, and I fear—not fear is the wrong word—but I I expect there to be a lot of people who will not have that backbone to stand up, but not only because they, they don't 
um, they don't have the courage or strength to not comply. I actually think there are more people in this country than we might realize who are blind to the truth. And something that has really struck me is the entire exchange in John 8, where he's, you know, what Jesus finally says, he's like, you're, you're, you because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. I thought that was very interesting. In, in one in one translation, it says that because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Your father is the father of lies. And they're like, we have no father but Abraham. You know, we're the same as you. And and basically it's like, but but I'm speaking the truth to you and you don't believe me. Therefore, you're, you know, that is not, your father is not Abraham. You're, you know, your father is not God. It's not God the father for them. And I think we we live in an age where people are, we, we think willfully deceived, but I'm not so sure about that. I think it's because they have been, their, their eyes are blind and have been blinded because their father is the father of lies. And because they see the truth, they cannot believe it. They don't believe the truth. They cannot believe the truth. You know, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, Dorothy, when you've been, when you've been educated uh, in lies and and brainwashed to believe the the opposite of what is true, then when the truth is proclaimed, you, you're just not going to not only you're not going to accept it, you're not you're not you're not really capable of accepting it. You're not at a place where you've got that that background and that foundation to say, oh yeah, that yeah, that's true. We should yeah yeah, that's a very good point. Um, it's still a mystery to me how folks in power, whether it's at the federal level or even at the state level, and we even see it now in some cases, uh, city mayors, they are off the hook. I just read an article yesterday, I think, where mayors of 14 major, very large U.S. cities have signed on to the World Economics Forum, the World Economics Forum push to to ban uh, combustion engines by 2030, to do away with eating beef, to do this, that, and, you know, a whole long list of things. And I'm wondering, where are the citizens in these places saying, you don't have the authority to agree to do any of that on our behalf? And in fact, we're going to prove that to you by removing you from office. Um, why do... Why do these elected officials, and again, it's at every level of, of government, it seems like to me, Dorothy, how do they get so off the, the rails? Is it is it because uh, they believe they have absolute power and we know what happens you believe you've got absolute power? Um, they're not serving their constituency or, or looking out for them in any shape, manner, or form. Do they not know that the things they're doing – it's going to lead directly to tyranny or is that what they're hoping? What, what are your thoughts? I would say that's what they're hoping for. You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, to paraphrase Lord Acton there, but to that, that's what they want. They, they, they don't want to be, sorry. They don't want to be beholden to, to their constituents. They don't see them as constituents. These are our subjects or these are our citizens. Um, and we are here. We know what's best for them. We know what's best for in the long run. We know. And so this is all for the common good. That's why I said you have to be really careful how you use that word um, because we can replace it that with like the general welfare or uh, however you want to look at that. They actually, they might believe that. But in the end, it's again, that tyranny that they're seeking through democracy. And I think on the other side of it is we talk about, okay, we can, we can recall them. We can elect someone new. But when you saw what happened in, in California, when he won the recall, when Gavin Newsom won the recall election there, he's like, he doubled down. He's like, all my COVID policies were right. This is just proof that, that I was right. And so we have that going on in these cities, one, and then two, but we've lost faith in the election electoral system in general. Anyway, nothing's been done to demonstrate to the people who are against these things that that their vote is secure and that it means anything and so i think you're you're looking at and they don't and they want it that way i feel i think i believe they feel very secure in their position that even if their their constituents are against them they have the power and the means to maintain that power and to maintain that power over the citizens within their districts yes yeah interestingly enough too 
New York City has lost over a trillion dollars in businesses leaving due to the policies that they they implemented over yes. the last past three years. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and and continue to implement. I've got friends live in Queens and they the things that they tell me that are going on there is just mind boggling. Um, you talk a lot in in the book. And again, friends, we are speaking with author Dorothy Logan, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. I highly recommend the book. Um, is it available on your website, Dorothy? Yes, yes. It's available on my website and Amazon and Barnes and Noble are the, but it's available anywhere. You can um, purchase it anywhere. Books are sold. Yeah. This would make a great gift, folks, to someone that you are trying to uh, bring along, educate, equip in the, in the principles, principles of a uh, uh, constitutional uh, republic and what it really means to be a free people, the responsibilities that we have as individuals and corporately as a society to make sure that freedom is still um, available for our grandchildren. I think about that all the time, Dorothy. I got young grandkids and I think, what is this nation gonna be like if we don't get this turned around for them? Um, so do yourself a favor, get the book, highly recommend it. Um, you talk about natural law throughout the book, and it, that is an important uh, principle. Uh, some would call theory, um, political, philo philosophical theory. Um, I think it's fact, uh, but you talk about that through the book, and you talk about truth being innately true. There are just certain things that we know because we've been wired that way. So for those that have joined us today for this conversation, Dorothy, what exactly is natural law and how does that, how did the founders understand that and how did that shape and form the things that they wrote? So again, this is a very Lockean concept, this idea of natural law that there exists within laws of nature uh, put in place by nature's God to 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 set apart a framework within which we can operate reality this is this is essentially the reality within we within which we operate and it goes it goes from physical laws all the way to moral laws it's all across the board and it relies upon this idea that we have a shared understanding of meaning um not necessarily there is an absolute meaning like definitions matter right so yeah. We agree upon the definition, we agree upon the meaning, and we can interact with each other. And when we talk about innate and truth is innately true, we just know what truth is. It's that obvi obvious stuff, right? Water is wet. No one has to tell you that water is wet or can deny water is wet. We look at it as like, yeah, water is wet and water makes things wet. If water isn't wet, water is just water. Well, it makes things wet. These are things that we can just look at and know. Objects fall. Um, and But then it move out of the physical realm into a moral realm, right? Slavery is bad. No one has to tell you that slavery is bad. And then freedom is good. Yet we're we are coming to a part where we don't have that shared understanding anymore. And I know I'm kind of sliding off the, off the question, but this idea that we operate, everything that we, the framework within we, which we operate is based on reality, on immutable law, on things that are innately true. And if we disagree about a definition or we disagree about a meaning, it just means something hasn't been explained well enough yet, or we, someone's right. It doesn't mean your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. There is only one truth. One of us is wrong. And by investigating further and understanding the, the framework of reality within which we live, we can can discover who is right and who is wrong pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore laws that are in opposition to natural law are innately immoral laws. If we correctly understand. Exactly. Because of natural law, Be, the natural law sets the standard, the measure by which we can, uh, understand what is right, what is wrong, and it's our moral authority. And that's why, but that's why the government, especially um, in DC, wants to eliminate any other alternate sources of moral authority, including natural law. This is why we're, they're turning truth on its head and reality on its head, but also the church and family. And they're trying to get rid of any alternative sources of authority because if the law that is passed by the state 
is and the state is the only the government is the only source of moral authority that law they want to say is the moral one because we are the moral authority but if it is in contradiction to reality to the framework of reality it is innately the immoral regardless the immoral law regardless of what the the government says about it yes yes so friends if you were paying attention and i pray that you were dorothy just explained very succinctly um why the government top down in 2020 sent a shot over the bow of the church and said you're non-essential shut your doors what i'm getting at is the government does not want any competition when it comes to who is sovereign well we serve the sovereign and what he has stated already as his law is law is what is right according to what he says it is and the government cannot cannot allow a competing moral voice which the church is supposed to be a competing moral voice and so that's why in my view behind in the background everything that's gone on for the last 20 years or more has been about undermining the the moral authority the voice the the position of 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 the church of Jesus Christ so that people will turn their their perspective away from what God's word says and just listen to the government that is that is whether people know it or not that is enslavement your thoughts dorothy well i i want to put out there that this book if if you have read it I don't bring up Christianity for a very long time. Um, right. It's it, it comes up near the end. It's it's a book that I believe every American should read. And when you talk about it would make a great gift, I think you can give this book to someone who wants to believe in rational thought and reason above faith and have them read through it and watch the logic take them to this place. I used to believe and I still do, but every small T truth should point to the big T truth. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do throughout this book is to take the small T truth and feeds the logic and the reason that people who reject God in favor of science and rationale and rational thinking can get to a point where, okay, this is actually where logic takes me. And so I think that's, that's kind of important point to, to point out for people. And, and if nothing else, even if they don't arrive there, it opens up conversations about the logical arguments within the book and about different issues and so yes they the government in back in 2020 and 2021 and now we're looking at it again in 2023 i believe is but they've systematically not just undermined all sources of moral authority, but they have, they've really tried to dehumanize us through all of these policies as well. So we don't see ourselves as, as valuable, like simultaneously we're, you know, every human life is so valuable that we, if we save just one life, you know, people are dying, we have to do whatever it takes where this is all for the common good. Yet we aren't smart enough or valuable enough to make our own decisions, to have our own thoughts, to be able to interpret um, what the data that's freely available available to us it's um so and and yeah at the same time you have the devaluing of human life so it's it's the whole dichotomy there that again that tension i hope i brought out in the book uh but again this idea of undermining moral authority undermining the church in particular undermining christianity in particular and especially undermining scripture in particular is very important to the systematic destruction of the fabric of this country Yes, absolutely. And, and while we're on the, the uh, era of 2021, it was interesting to me that, that uh, the church is non-essential, um, but liquor stores and strip clubs and, and these other places were, were still open and, and, uh, and operating. Couldn't, couldn't go. Um, and you really enjoyed your, your recap of those couple of years too, and pointing all this stuff out because because our neighbors to the north, uh, Whitmer, wow, <laughs> was she ever on a power? I think she's still on that power trip personally, but um, the thing she did to the citizens up there, I'm surprised they haven't uh, marched on the Capitol and just camped out. But anyway, um, 
so all of this, everything that we've been talking about so far, it it's difficult. It should be difficult for any rational thinking person to argue that this unraveling that you're describing in your book isn't by design because it sure looks like it's by design. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I'm still on my, yeah, you're but, on. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, so, I uh, phrased it in a question. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it does seem to be by design and, and I, I've used the analogy in most of these interviews is if you, you know, if you leave the gate open, the cow wanders off, you know, the cow will wander off. If you leave the, if you intentionally leave the gate open, you want the cow to wander off. But, and, and I don't want to seem like a conspiracy theorist where, oh, everyone's getting together and deciding these, this is a strategy for how to destroy the country. However, there is a strategy to, to destroy the country and, and it uses very well-intentioned people with good in, you know, good intentions, good motives, good hearts to carry out its plan. So it's not that everyone involved in the strategy is knowingly involved in the strategy, but I use one example um, in there very briefly about how they, they've done it. They use a psychologist and they use a marketer and they decide what, what, how can we do to perpetuate the narrative that we want and get us to a point where we get what we want out of it. And if, and if it was successful in the eighties, uh, you can, you can guarantee that they've improved upon the, the, the methodology and the strategy to be implementing this systematic destruction um, 30, 40 years later. And they've, and it, it's coming together so, so well, it's dovetailing. Everything is kind of dovetailing together, but what I think they don't, expect or they they tend to underestimate or miscalculate human reaction we're very unpredictable um but what i think the 2020 experiment was social experiment was determined revealed rather revealed how unpredictable the society is or or will be should another crisis arise or what can we use and how can we market differently to um keep our march forward in a particular direction toward i believe that the intention is to destroy the society of the, of our country yeah yeah and it's it's uh i i remind folks listen there there's there's no conspiracy to it they're out in the open and telling us plainly what they plan to do now they may have developed these strategies in secret which which is that's all conspiracy means, by the way, friends. Strategies agreed upon in, in secret, which would be the Davos Group and the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg. I mean, we could go down the list. And, and But anyway, I don't want to detract from this question. So, so you, you mentioned um, the two pillars of any, org, of any civilization and um, remove one. And and you've weakened it significantly. Remove both, and it's going to come to a come to an end. And so those two pillars, I'll just give them, and then you can you can comment on it. The two pillars any great civilization is built upon is shared language and shared religion and values. Well, both of those things, and you can take them one at a time, Dorothy. Both of those subjects, both of those areas have come under ferocious assault today to the to the point that um well let's start with language michigan ten thousand dollar fine if you use the wrong pronouns that's actually codified now as crazy as that sounds they've actually passed that in the michigan legislature your thoughts yeah, we I talked to my husband like it's time to get out of Michigan. It's time to get out of California. It's time to get it's time to get out of Washington. It's, time, it's like wherever you are basically it's time to get out, which is why I think federalism is so important. But but yes, language and it's being attacked on many fronts. It's it's definition it's definitions, meaning, shared meaning, 
um, we, we've reversed definitions. You, and you started this whole interview with a quote from my book that like we've replaced all these words. So it's not just the replacing of definitions, but with connotations. Like this is the meaning of one word or another. Equity and equality are great. It's a great example where you have, you know, they want to define equality in terms of their new definition for equity and then say how equality is bad when we used to think equality was good. And what is equality? And so you have definitions, you have connotations, you have grammar. Grammar is relates very, very much to meaning, shared meaning. But What's important to understand is that language can be attacked through attacking the shared values as well, because it all relies upon that shared meaning found in natural law, outlined and promulgated throughout the entire Western civilization through the Bible and through Judeo-Christian values. And so to over, so in order to change the language, to change, to change the idea of what natural law is and what truth is, they attack not just the language overtly, and they're telling us what they're doing, but they are also overtly, as you said before, they're, they're not making any secret about it. They're trying to change history, change the institutions, overthrow the current regime over overthrow the current understanding overthrow the current meaning and to overthrow the current meaning they must undermine every every area where that shared meaning comes from and that is part and parcel christianity and the scriptures because not only does it shared meaning but this idea of of christianity and the idea that um there's no we christianity is what produce this idea of secularism. It's a sec it's a secularism is a product of Christianity because they say there are areas in our lives like our freedom of conscience, freedom of thought, freedom, you know, freedom of worship that the government doesn't belong in. They have to get rid of Christianity for that reason so that that they can then put in in, in its place state government. This is who this they you do not have a place outside our reach. In fact, you should be worshiping us. They don't use that word, but they that's what they do do desire. And not only and and not only that, we can we can control your thoughts. We can influence your thoughts and we can track your thoughts. And we the free will is over. Um you, you talked about the WEF and there's there's Harari uh, uh he's actually said that we have so we have the capability to take away freedom of choice and freedom of thought. And so, and they've been doing their very best to take away freedom of speech and freedom of, of conscience over the past few years as well. And so to do that, they must undermine Christianity and they must undermine the, the scriptures and the basis upon which natural law is has been understood throughout the entire Western world. Yes, yes, absolutely true. And a couple of thoughts there. So they're not trying to create a... a faithless or, or religionless society. They want to be the new religion. They, they want, they want to be worse. They want to be sought out and admired and thought of as the sovereign who can solve all issues. You mentioned Harari's name. He has said that point blank that the new religion coming on the scene is, is going to be focused on Technology, it's it's a religion of technology. In fact, um, I've seen recently um, religions starting up where they're worshiping AI and and some other things of that nature. So this is so so relevant and 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 timely. In fact, uh, um, folks, you got to get the book, The Unraveling. Dorothy Logan, you will not be disappointed. And I'll just tell you now, get a copy or two for your friends, folks that you've been trying to get this information or these principles across to get a copy for them. Um, Cause you're right, Dorothy, this, this is not a, a book about Christianity, but Christianity is behind all of it. And it actually comes in toward the end. It's a logical progression. And what, system of thinking of faith best supports and and allows for the flourishing of the principles of freedom and liberty well clearly that's christianity um the pandemic and then i want to 
and then I want to conclude with your last chapter because your last chapter was great. It had some things that people can do, should be doing. Always want to leave on a positive note. Hope. Don't be discouraged. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is that the government creates the problems, and then they offer the solution. But the solution generally creates more problems that they'll offer more. So it's just an endless cycle, and it's a deliberate endless cycle. They are, they are very, very good at keeping us running around in circles, um, not really getting any traction on any one thing. Um, that's what I've noticed in these last 10 years or so. They keep people distracted um, don't allow them to get together in 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 numbers significant enough to make a difference. I think that's changing. I, I see that changing right now. Um, but what did this this pandemic? This I call it a scamdemic. Um, what should it have taught us about government and the relationship to individual liberty and freedom? What are their thoughts? I believe that what we should have learned is that our government not only has the power to take our rights and liberties away from us, they have a desire to do it and they will do everything in their power that they can sell to the American public to, to do so. I also, I believe I learned how willingly we are willing to give up. Americans are willing to give up our, our rights and liberties, um, in out of fear. I think we've learned the role of fear in all of this. And I do believe most people are are afraid of something afraid of losing their job afraid of losing their insurance afraid of losing their children or their children's love or they're afraid of i don't know losing their savings or losing their house or whatever they're they're afraid of something or their health or their life right so they have all this fear and i think what have taught us was that they want us divided because it feeds the fear, it feeds the contempt, it feeds the suspicion, it feeds the hostility. And this is what they actually desire for the people that they call their citizens. And they, and we should have learned that therefore we should be seeking to show compassion, to create authentic relationships, and to not be afraid. And also Christians should be leaning into that idea of love, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. And we have to, we, we have the, I don't know where he's, but we have the whole, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. There's nothing to be afraid of. You shouldn't be afraid of losing your job or losing your family or, or, or anything that could happen to you, losing your life or suffering. We shouldn't, we should not be afraid of any of this. We have the power of the almighty sovereign creator God of the universe at in us and, and working in us and through us. And I don't, I, I want that message to get out to Christians as well, because I have interacted with so many Christians who are like, but my children, what about my children? And I'm so afraid for my children. And I said, but why, if, if God has gotten you to this point here and you can call on him and he loves you and he knows you better than you know yourself and you can, you can rely on him. We have to stop looking at for answers from the people who have demonstrated they do not have our best interests at heart. They instead want to dictate to us what will make us happy, what will make us safe, what will make us healthy, and what will make us good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I I just remind people, um, all of those folks that that stood their ground um, and refused to go along with with the mandates and all these other things, and and they even lost their jobs uh, as a result of that. Um, I remind them, you survived that, and guess what? All of those employers now that did those things, they're coming back and begging those same people to come back to work. By you taking a stand and refusing to comply. You demonstrated that this can be beaten. This, what they're trying to do to us, if we'll, in enough numbers, if we'll stand together, it'll crumble. It is a, yes, they have power and authority and, and yes, it may get difficult in the moment, but I think we can beat them if we'll stand against them in significant enough numbers. And it's a much smaller number than what most people think. Well, I don't think we'll get 50 million. I don't think it'll take 50 million. I don't even think it'll take 10 million. I think it's a much smaller number. 
I do believe that, you know, if you look back to the revolution, a very small percentage were in favor of going to war against Britain. Uh, and we were the underdogs. There was nothing to be gained in a lot of people's minds um, and, and quite a bit to be lost. But but the ideas caught on. But throughout history, we see the benefit of solidarity and as long as we can, re if we have solidarity with like-minded people and we are willing to come together and encourage each other and push through the policy that we have an objection to, whether, you know, no matter how small or insignificant or large it is, it's that solidarity that speaks volumes. One voice might not matter that much to a, a legislate, legislator or a governor, uh, but you have a group. That's why there's lobbying groups and advocacy groups and there's all these special interest groups. But what I don't think we're very good at is organizing a group around values and around uh, freedom and liberty. I, I don't really, we, we, we follow people, we follow movements, but something as simple as what should be our most basic foundation of, of liberty and freedom and, and rights, we find, a hard, we find it hard to come into solidarity around that because we might approach all those different Th those ideas from a, a variety of perspectives and desires of what we want to get out of, of those concepts. Yes. Yeah. Well, you conclude the book, chapter 17. What can we do? There's the question. What, what can we do? So um, we've got a couple of minutes left, Dorothy, what would you recommend to people that have been asking that question? Well, what do we do? What do we do? Well, the very first thing, and I haven't mentioned this on a previous interview ever, I really do think you should get off social media. And that is really, really difficult because it's the way we're connected and it's the way we can create solidarity, right? So it's like, okay, that's a catch-22. How how can we get off social media and still have come together as a community? But I will, I will declare that if you can get off social media, you'll have a peace of mind and you'll actually create more authentic relationships, which is the most important thing to create solidarity and to create um, a, a unified vision for, for our country is to is through authentic relationships. So the number one thing I, I, I talk about is creating those authentic relationships and replacing the need to, the need to be right this idea in a debate of i need to be right when you're having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you be curious find out why they believe what they believe and be ready to answer that question yourself like why do you believe what you believe as well but be genuinely curious and keep following it up with why questions another thing i think and we didn't really touch on this very much is i think the public school system people might not be aware of this but public education is one of the planks of the communist manifesto it's really important for the state to get control of your children and influence their mind and what they're thinking and i think we must get our children out of public school. A lot of people say, well, we can run for boards and we can become teachers and we can work from the system from within. But, I, and, and yes, I think that is important if that's what you're called to do. But at the same time, the, the, easiest way, and I, I hate the path of least resistance, is to simply not let the state have more time with your child than you yes. have. And, and people say, well, we can't do that. And I actually think the pandemic demonstrated that we are very innovative when we need to protect what's what we prioritize. So if it is very important for you to have more time with your child than this than the government, I think we can there's a lot of solutions that cross all the different types of budgets. And then um I as Christians, I believe we need to lean into the Holy Spirit and 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 use a, a absolute standard of measure against which to measure our own opinions, ideas, and behaviors. And I, a very easy way to do it is, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And, um, and then I like to throw in because against, against such things, there is no law, right? So this, this idea that, you know, that is what we should as Christians be leaning, leaning into as well. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good, good discussion, Dorothy. Thank you so very much for joining me. The book is the unraveling, the American fabric undone, but there are things that we can do to head this off. Listen, stand up and be counted. Be counted as one that's willing to put your your faith and your values and, and, and your beliefs on the line. Um, and thank you so much, Dorothy, for bringing up public school. Get your kids out of the public school. Find a, a homeschooling co-op 
Um, it's a lot easier than what you think. Um, there may be a classical Christian school in your area. Check them out. I, I know about them. My, my granddaughter started first day of school today, classical Christian school. Very impressed with them. But anyway, that's all we've got for today. Um, Dorothy, is there a contact, a way to contact you from your website? Yep. Yes, you can. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much, Thank producer. You. So reach out to Dorothy, tell her you appreciated the conversation and buy the book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. God bless you guys. That's all we've got for today. See you next time. Mm-hmm.